James chapter 4. I should just read this and walk off and give it a time of response, but we'll, we'll go a little deeper. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10 says this. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for just being a part of this service this morning and just the power of hearing brothers and sisters in Christ singing and exalting you. God, what an, what an encouragement that is to my spirit. So, Father, would you bless the reading and teaching of your word in this time together, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. So, if you're a first-time guest with us, let me let you know we are in the middle of our summer elder series. We try to do this every year. And we let our lay elders and our, our um, staff elders preach through uh, a passage this year. We're doing the book of James. And so my name is Andrew, and I am the worship and discipleship pastor. And I'm probably, like, super proud as I could ever be uh, of these guys up here for just handling it. And it's just such a blessing to be able to have a team. Uh, so Billy, Andrea, you guys, thank you all for just, just knocking it out of the park. Uh, man, it was so good. It just blessed my heart. It was, I really felt that for the first time that I hear pastors say, like, you get that moment where, like, you feel like you're just going to run up on stage. Like, I almost ran up on stage. Like, I was like, I probably shouldn't do that. We're not that Pentecostal, um, but um, we are Pentecostal for sure. So uh, let me read what we're going to do here. Like, we're going to take this verse by verse. We're just going to break it down and, uh, and go through the passage. So James chapter 4. Let me go back and read verse 1 for us. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So we live in a world that is full of fights and quarrels, and they're everywhere, right? They're in our places of work. Sadly, they're in our homes. They're in our school systems. And they're even in our churches, and so James is writing what is likely the first book written in the New Testament here. And he's writing to the 12 tribes in dispersion. Christians who had been scattered out due to persecution. The majority of Jewish Christians living in together, closely knit quarters in house churches. So what has happened is, is social conflict has risen. And they began to fight and they began to quarrel and they had fallen into a worldly lifestyle where when they weren't putting their faith into practice or as Tony said a couple of weeks ago, they weren't putting their money where their mouth was, right? They were wavering in their faith. They were double-minded as the scripture says. 
They were back and forth between the world and between God, trying to be friends on both sides here is what we were seeing. And you can imagine the tensions that were there, right? Put your mind, put yourself in the early church. You can imagine the tensions that were there, that, began, that, that, that they, they were scattered about, they were trying to spread the gospel, do what they were supposed to do, all while watching people die for the very reason that they're doing what they're doing, for the sake of the gospel. Anxiety and fear must have been through the roof. The church was meeting in homes, sharing everything they had. And, and it's funny, as we often will say things like, man, the church in Acts, man, the early church, they really got it. They understood, man, if we could just do church like they do church. But, but, but we miss a lot of the things. The way they did church, the way they, they started that, it didn't come without conflict. It didn't come without fighting. It didn't come without quarrels. They helped each other out. And they ministered to each other daily. They, they, they really uh, were blessed in that time. And God added to their numbers daily, and it was good. It was very good. But I imagine, like, if you're in that situation and you're in that close quarters in that church, fellowship would have been tight, and they knew everything, and they saw everything about each other. And that brings on its own laundry list of things, of issues. When you're that close with someone, think of it like this. Like, if you go on vacation, I have to be careful because I have a lot of family here. But, but when you go on vacation with your extended family, or you go on vacation with maybe your close friends, what happens? What happens during that time? Well, number one, you try to figure out, when I plan this, all right, am I getting annoyed by them by day four or day five? Don't, don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. Like, you try to figure it out. Like, I love our staff here, but when we went to New Orleans together, it was like day three, day four. God, please go home. Okay. But that, what, what happens? We, we start to kind of see things, and things that probably wouldn't normally annoy you begin to trigger you into, like, this whole sociopathic lifestyle that you didn't even know was inside you. And so it's, it's little things like, who took the trash out but didn't put a trash bag back in? Who borrowed my toothpaste? That's my toothpaste. It's not your toothpaste. Don't take my toothpaste. Why are we going to dinner at 4 p.m. every day? What, what are we doing? These are the things. And so there's already this annoyance and this triggers and these things. And so think in your mind and when you're vacationing, when you're spending that time with people you normally wouldn't get annoyed with, right, that you love dearly. The other thing is, you realize some of the things that they do and the things that they have are different than what you do and what you have. When you're that close to people, you begin to see things and you begin to notice things and begin to want things and desire things that maybe in your mind aren't as good as what you have. And so these are passions. These are, these are pleasures. These are passions. And, and they're battling out. James says they're battling within us, right? And look, we are the literal worst when it comes to comparing ourselves to others, aren't we? We are the little worst. We, for, for most men in the room, and it's maybe not for everybody, for most men in the room, we look at the finances and we go, we look at the toys, we go, man, if we just had that camper, man, if we just had that side by side, if we just, if we just had that tractor or that, the, the status of being the big dog in the company, right? Yeah, man, big dog wants to eat. Let's go. Most of you women in the room, and I'm not lumping everybody in there, but for most, the majority of women, it's an appearance thing. It's the hair. It's the makeup. It's the clothes. It's the, the family. It's the body, right? We are constantly comparing ourselves to the point where our passions, our desires within us, the things that we think will bring us pleasure are at war 
it in us. We're going to verse 2. It says, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. Look, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Like, we are selfish people, y'all. We are selfish people. We desire selfish gain, and we want pleasure in this world. Now, look, I will be the first to admit that I do not like pain, okay? I don't like it. It doesn't mean I can't handle it. It just means I don't like it. Even, I mean, my wife knows that I'm not a good patient, and she would probably tell you that I'm a bit of a whiner. <clears throat> and just this week, like just this week, I did something to my lower back, and and like my, my, my wife, my family, my coworkers, everybody knew about it. I'm surprised I didn't post something about it on Facebook. Everybody knew about it. And I got to spend my birthday week on hot pads and ice packs. Welcome to 39. <laughs> Glory to God. But pleasure, pleasure really is what we all desire. We, we want what's, what feels good for us. We want what makes us feel good about ourselves, what's best for this guy, number one. And we begin, but when we begin, and we begin to act on those selfish desires, it creates fights and quarrels. So we do a lot of counseling here at the church. We do premarital counseling. We do regular marital counseling. One of the things that we try to tell couples is that you you are a selfish sinner. You are a selfish sinner. Look, we're not trying to be rude or insensitive or anything like that. We just know that more than anything. We want to sound an alarm. Because here's the deal. When you're in that world, especially premarital counseling, okay, like you come into this world thinking like, like oh, everything's perfect. Well, no, <laughs> he can't do wrong, bet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we have this. And when you, the reality is when you put two selfish sinners together and put them in a house together and try to, you're not going to get 24-7 peace. Anybody? Any amens? I, I see them out there. Yeah. <laughs> It's just, it's just the reality is well, you, you, you're not going to get perfect, perfect peace. The church is the same way. Guys, there is a bunch of you folks in here, a bunch of you guys. And look, it, it, we're going to have our moments. We're a big family. We are a big family, a lot of brothers, a lot of sisters. We are, and, it, and, and by nature, we are often, some of us are more so than others, are hard to get along with. Okay? We just are, and we want what's best for number one. Now, this is, when you look at verse 2a, the first part of it, it's pretty strong language here. It's, it's pretty strong language, and especially for inside the church. I mean, I've been a part of some business meetings that have went south. I'm sure Mark could give you a lot more illustrations than I could. But I've been through a, some business meetings that, that went a little south. But I've never seen anybody commit first-degree murder over the color of the carpet. Like, I mean, I've seen some ladies get ticked off over some flowers, but I've never seen actual murder within the church. But, and we know that's not what, exactly what he's talking about, but... Here's what it does do. It takes us back. What is it, who does it point us to? He talks about it. It points us back to the Sermon on the Mount, right? When Jesus, equate, Jesus equates anger with a brother to murder. And so suddenly, we were going through this laundry list of things. I didn't, I didn't think I dealt with that. Okay, I do deal with that. Okay, I'll, we'll work on that. And suddenly, we're on this vacation with our extended family or our, our friends, and we're there, and we go, man, I really like my new iPhone 27. But, but their iPhone 27 Pro comes with like a 400-megapixel camera and, and, a, and a Gen Zer to help you operate it for 30 days at no cost. <laughs> and, and so suddenly, like, you, you, you see all these things, 
you, you, you find yourself wanting something that you don't have. Suddenly, the, the, the beach house across the road from the beach is not good enough. You've got to have the beach house on the beach. Suddenly, the Weber grill is not good enough. You've got to have the big green egg. Suddenly, like, I'm only going to drink pour over coffee, okay, because I'm way too bougie to drink drip coffee. Like, this is not happening. <laughs> and here's, here's the thing is that none of these things by themselves are inherently evil. They're not. It's totally cool to do any of that. Like, they can be enjoyed, and they should be enjoyed. Church, I enjoy my New York strip medium rare the way God intended it. And, and, I'm, and I enjoy that because it's in the Bible. I can't find it, but it's in there somewhere. None of those things are inherently evil. Those things are bad. They're pleasures. They're good things. But the issue comes when you desire it so much that it consumes you and you begin to covet. Our sinful desires and our covetousness is a slippery slope. It's a slippery slope. The wording is strong here, and we're, the reality is we're all guilty of it. You see some with that, someone get that promotion that maybe even you actually did deserve, but you certainly think you deserved it. You, you, you see that family down the street that doesn't give a flying rip about anything of eternal value, and God seems to be pouring out their blessings on them. You're like, what, dude, what do I got to do, man? You see all these things. You, you work so hard to provide for your family, and it feels like your spouse could care less. You stick with that husband that you probably should have left years ago, but because you made a commitment, and, and you feel like, what, what's the use? It's frustrating, and we dwell on it, and we compare ourselves. And can you hear me say this if you don't hear anything else? When we play the comparison game, we lose every single time. When we play the comparison, and look, I'm, I'm speaking from, I get it, okay? Like, I, I get this. Mondays, if I've had a bad Sunday, and a bad Sunday to me means, like, the lights went off for two hours and we couldn't get them back on, okay? Or, you know, something crazy happens and my guitar breaks a string. Like, those are bad things in, in my brain. And I'll go and I'll watch something on Sunday and of somebody else's service. Like, man, look what they did. Look what they got. And what do I do? I begin to covet those things. And it's never an apples-to-apples apples comparison, Right? We're talking, you know, I'll, I'll go and look at, like, you know, some church that's got, like, a, you know, $40 million budget. I'm like, man, they're doing things really well. Like, well, of course they're doing things well. But look, when we play the comparison game, hear me, hear me, we lose every time. Let's continue on. Verse, the second part of verse 2. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. All right, stop right there. So how, how many times have you guys heard this? Like, have not because you ask not. Nobody? Anybody? You probably okay, don't lie. We're going to go back to that. Many of you have probably even said that, have not because you ask not. Look, can we just make a pact today? If you're going to quote half a verse, can you continue on? Like, I think it would be much better to say you have not because you ask not. You ask and don't receive because you wrongly spend it on your passions. Like, just finish the whole thing so we can really know what that means. But Scripture says it uber clear here. What, is it, what does it say? He said, just because you ask for it doesn't mean that you're going to get it, especially if you ask wrongly, right? God is not your genie in a bottle. God is not your little errand boy, okay, to just to go and, and pick. And, and so so the, stop desiring the things that God can give you over God himself. Just stop. If you're going to God in prayer to get more stuff, 
for yourself, you are absolutely missing the point. Again, it just, it just reveals our selfishness. It, is, it reveals our selfish, self-centered passions that we have. Instead of going to God and asking for his will to be done, we offer prayers for personal gain. Y'all, he even, he even teaches us how to pray. Like, you're not sure, like, how to pray? Like, how do, like, he actually has a, has a section in the scriptures that talks about, like, pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Your will be done. Like, we've got to be seeking his will over our wills. We need to seek what aligns with God and his will, not our own. And it escalates pretty quickly in James chapter 4, verse 4. Now, all through James, he's been pretty, pretty kind. He's been saying, brothers, brothers, brothers do this, brothers do this. What happens in verse 4? You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be afraid of the, uh, be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy with God. Some of you more seasoned folks in here may get this, this phrase. This is where James starts shucking the corn. All right, James is preaching here. James is getting after. James is, is bringing the heat right here. He's making it plain as day. Yes, he's talking to the 12 tribes that have been dispersed, but he's, he's are we not in dispersion? Or is, this, is this our eternal home? No. He's talking to us as well. And we look forward to that day when we get to spend all of eternity united with God. He uses some language here. When he talks about adultery, you think marriage, you think about the sin of adultery in that aspect, but, and he's referring to the way God refers to the relationship with his people like a marriage. And hear me out. And, and when we go down this road of coveting and envy and selfish desires, we begin to desire the things of the world more than God of this world. We not only start desiring it, but like Lot, we start gazing toward it. We start moving toward it. Before you know it, we're in bed with it. Are we not? When we begin to put our selfish desires and our pleasures over, the, over this world, over God himself, we are committing spiritual adultery. Spiritual adultery, and it's a big deal. The wording he's using here, enmity or hostility, that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Like, look, I get it, hostile. There are a lot of people in this world that we should be hostile again, that we should, we, should, we should bow up again, we can flex on, right? There's a lot of bad folks that we should flex on. Can I tell you that God of the universe is not one of those? And we look at hostility and the way he's saying right here, understand that, that, that when we're sleeping with the things of this world, that we are actively opposing God. We're being hostile towards God. And, and no wonder it says that if you wish to be a friend of the world, that you make yourself an enemy of God. Church, spiritual adultery is a big deal. And look, I am, I'm just going to be honest with you. Anytime I preach, I'm just going to cut myself and bleed all over the place, right? And I'm just going to be honest with you, probably to a fault. But I'm, I'm living this right now. Look, we're building a house. It wasn't even supposed to be a new house. It was supposed to be a remodel. This time last year, I got up and talked about how we're remodeling this house. My whole sermon was based upon restoration and remodeling last year. And God said, no, bro, we're going to do this. I'm like, God, what? And I'm living this right now. We, 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 we drive by house after house, or we look at something on the Internet, or we see something in a magazine, most likely Southern Living, and, and we look at it, and we go, man, I want that. I wonder what kind of siding they're using. What kind of, what kind of floor is that? It's probably not in my budget. I still want it. 
maybe I can cut corners somewhere else. Maybe we can maybe go back to the bank and borrow a little extra money. Maybe we can do this. Maybe we can overextend ourselves. I called John. John just got finished with building a home himself. And I'm like, hey, man, what kind of camera systems you get? Oh, yeah, you like it? Yeah, I'm going to get one, one step up, you know, like 8K, you know. John, what, what kind of floors you got, man? What kind of cabinets are those? What kind, what kind, of, what, what, what kind of countertops you got? What kind of toilet paper you use? You use double ply or single ply? <laughs> and, we, and this is what we do. We obsess over these things. Y'all, I'll just be honest with you. I know it's funny, and, and I, I told um, somebody this morning that, that I, I, when I get nervous, I start making jokes, and, and then I just keep rambling. But in all, in all seriousness, man, I was exposed to my sin this week. If you'd asked me last week, do you struggle with coveting? I'm like, coveting? Please. I don't covet. I got everything I need. And many of you would do the same right now. If I just asked you, you struggle with that. Oh, I struggle with coveting. Here's the deal. I, I look back over the past six months, guys, and, and I think about the amount of time that I was consumed with looking on my phone at things from my house. Things that, that I don't need but desire. I begin to get frustrated. And my passions begin to get fueled inside of me. And if we aren't careful, the sin of coveting will take us to a dark place real, real quick. And before we know it, we have run around on our God and we desperately need to repent and turn back to God. I had to do that this week. Let's continue, verse 5. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says, says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Okay, let's stop right there. When we hear the phrase of God being a, a, a jealous, you probably heard that, you know, maybe the song, he is jealous for me, whatever. Like, when you hear that phrase, we hear God is a jealous God often. We have to be careful to not pull an Oprah here and take it out of context and leave the faith altogether. Hear me clearly say this, that God is not jealous of you. He is not. There is nothing in your life that he is jealous of. That you, he, he is jealous for you. He is jealous for you. As a husband, I am very jealous for my wife's affections. I am. Anything that tries to sever that or get between us or, 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 or mess that up, man, they're going to be met with a complete opposition. I'm jealous for my wife's affections. And that's the way it should be in marriage. It's, it's a great thing in our relationship with God, too. He is absolutely jealous for our affection. Don't, don't miss this. David Platt says it like this. I think this is really accurate. He says, this is not, I'm talking about jealousy. He says, this is not an insecure jealousy that is afraid that you're going to find someone or something better. For there isn't anyone or anything better. This is a secure jealousy that seeks what is the best for you by guarding your heart from adulterous pursuits. Is that not it, man? In order for us to find, in order for us to, to find all that we need, we must run from the things of this world and cling to him and to only him. He created, guys, he created us with a spirit in us, and he desires for our spirits to worship him. He wants our affection. That's, that's why corporate worship is so precious, spirit and in truth. He wants that. He desires that from you, and it's so precious. 
Here's the deal. As we, as we look at this passage, for me, and probably for some of you this morning, you've had your worldliness exposed already. And it's, it's hard. It's not fun getting your toes stepped on. Believe me, I, I get it. I read this and wanted to just get under my desk and hide for a couple of days, which I did, but it was because of my back. But, but it's not... It's not fun to get your sin exposed, right? And and you may you're you're probably coming in here. Maybe you're a guest today, and you're thinking about, dude, this is hard. This is, I don't know about this, dude. This is tough. And you're thinking, man, this this is not possible. Like we can't, I can't do this. Like this is way too hard. Can I tell you, you'd be right to think that. You're right to think that you you can't do this. You can't do this alone. And and that's what makes the God of the Bible so incredible is that we get our sin exposed and we bleed out on the front of everybody and then we are gifted with verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humbleness is what we're looking for, right? Humility is what we're looking for. I love the wording here, and it reminds me so much of Romans chapter 5, verse 20. It says, now the law came in to increase the trespass, but, when, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And if we just took the Ten Commandments, just ten, ten things, ten sins, and began to examine our lives by them, what would happen? Let's just do it in your brain with me right now. No other gods before me. Have gods before you. Yeah, but football season's coming up. Oh, Thursday. No idols before me. I don't have, I don't, I don't make no golden idols. But my kids are really precious and I want to do everything that they want to do all the time, even if it means missing everything. It has to do with spiritual things. Eesh. Okay, maybe that's too, over two. The Lord's name in vain. I don't deal with that, except that person pulled out in front of me when I was running 85 and a 45. They should have known I was running 85 and a 45. And I took the Lord's name in vain. I was hauling a trailer, Lord. I didn't want to stop. Sabbath day holy. I'm sure we all keep it holy every Sunday. Mom and dad, honor your father and your mother. Jeez. You guys not honored your father and mother lately? I live with mine. I'm 39. <laughs> and I still don't honor them on occasions. And it's heartbreaking. Murder, I don't deal with that, except we anger with a brother. Okay, uh, um, adultery, stealing, oh, oh, lying, coveting. Next thing you know, we're, we're batting a thousand percent. And sin increased the more. As you go down that list, sin began to increase more and more. But church, don't forget, but, but he gives more grace. He gives more grace. We covet grace. We lie, grace. We steal, more grace. We cheat on our God, more grace, more grace. And this is not just a grace that just kind of barely covers it, man. This is every time. It's just more and more and more grace. He gives more grace. It's like a fountain that's overflowing. It will not stop. It cannot stop. It is more grace. And you're right to think that you can't do it, but more grace. You're right to feel like a reprobate piece of trash because we are, but you can't do it. But he can, and he did do it. More grace. The church, this is the good news. Like, I know it's hard to get your sin exposed. Trust me, I get that. But he gives more grace. He gives grace to the humble. So what does that look like? What is the application? What's the application here? 
the scriptures is the application in this case. Let's read this, verse 7 through 10, real quickly. You guys will beat the crowd to the top of the river. Verse 7 says this. We're looking for humility. We're trying to figure this out. Like, what does this look like in my life? How do I become grace? I want more grace, but he gives grace to the humble. Okay, I got that figured out, but how do I do it? What do I do? Verse 7, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. You double-minded, be wretched, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter return to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. How in the world do we go from an adulterous, covetous wretch to a humble, grace-filled, submitted follower of Christ? It's just these few verses. The first one is resist the devil. Stop resisting God. Resist the devil. And from here's what's interesting about this. is like from Adam until us, we have believed the lies of the devil. We just have. Like we're trusting Satan over trusting God. The devil said way back in the garden, like, you need this. And he said, huh. No, I don't need that. I don't have that. I want that. Is that not what happens to us? Like, he says, you need this thing, or you need this relationship, or you need this status. And God, meanwhile, God of the universe is saying, no, 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 no. You don't need those things. You need me. Resist the devil, and he will flee. When you're tempted to watch that whatever that video or that channel on TikTok that you like, and you know it's going to take you to a dark place, man, resist the devil. Resist the devil. When you're tempted and, and, and to covet those things that aren't yours, resist the devil, and he will flee. Second thing is chase after God through repentance. So when James says, uses this wording of draw near to God, we should draw near to God. It's with the understanding that we're turning away from something, right? And we're drawing towards God. That something is sin in our old self. We are turning from our old sin and we're drawing to God. We're returning to the one who created us in his own image to what? Glorify him. Question number four of the New City Catechism. Seek purity. Third thing is seek purity. Your hearts and your hands, inside and out. Not like the religious jerks of the day that would just look good on the outside. It's not, it's not the whole cup being dirty, filthy on the inside. We want the inside and the outside clean. And we need to be washed clean by that fountain. Fourth thing is understand that sin is serious. If I could say anything more to, to your generation to look at me, your generation, my generation, I think there's a little bit of gap between us, but not a ton. There's some 20-somethings in the room somewhere. Your sin is serious. Our sin, our sin, my sin is serious. I didn't know I had an issue with coveting until this week. That's why reading the God of Word and letting it speak into your heart is important. Understand that sin is serious. If you want to see revival in your life, you want to see revival in your family, in our church, possibly our 
our nation. It's never going to happen if we don't take sin as a serious matter. It's just not going to. You're going to become a grace abuser at that point. James says we should grieve our sin and mourn, be brought to tears because of it. When is the last time that you wept over your sin? When is it? Those that are in the world that are friends with the world, they don't think their sin's a big deal. And they're not going to mourn and weep over their sin. So that's the, that's the question today. That it might be time to get serious with the God of the universe that breathed life into you, who is jealous for you and jealous for the affections, and he wants you to kick that sin to the curb and put him back in his proper place, as top priority in your life. And the last thing is this, and we're done. So we've got to resist the devil, chase after God through repentance, seek purity, understand that sin is serious. The last thing is trust God and God alone. And verse 10 is an incredible picture. And verse 10 is an incredible picture that when we humble ourselves before God, we don't have to do anything else. When we humble ourselves before God, he will exalt us. He will lift you up. God will give you more grace in your humility, and he will be the one to bring you out of the darkness and raise you up to bring you to the top of the mountain. Right? That's what is the incredible thing about Christianity, how the God, the creator God, that we don't have to work our way to the top of the mountain, that he came down the mountain, he provided a way for, for sinful man. You hear us say this a lot, for sinful man at the bottom of the mountain, to be made with a, right with a holy God at the top of the mountain. He came off the mountain, picked us up, took us to the top of the mountain. He will exalt you. When you humble yourselves before God, he will exalt you. He has done it for you, and he gives more grace. Church, he gives more grace. Don't be beat up over your sin. I love you. I love you so much. Please don't walk away today defeated. Hear me say the hope that is in this passage. He gives more grace. Let's go to the Father in prayer. Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one. -on -one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, and what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. And we would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon.